Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. I know that a lot of people just feel that if they go to, you know, consent-based training, they're going to never get get done what they want to get done. And I think we've just kind of talked about why that's not true. And then also like, sometimes we need to reconsider what are we trying to get done? And do we really need to get that done in the manner or time frame that we are trying to? Like if we're trying to ride and we're like, oh, the horse is not consenting to riding right now. So I'm never gonna get this done. It's like, well, no, you can still get that done, but it's just maybe it might take more time or it might take different ways of looking at it and different approaches, or even if you can't get it done, do you really need to do that is another question, because I think that we do kind of have to let go of the perception that we make the agenda and we set everything that's going to happen. So I do genuinely think that most physically healthy and, you know, mentally healthy horses can consent and will likely consent in the right situation to being ridden. But, you know, also if they don't, if you're going with consent-based training, then you're kind of going with that idea that if they don't, then that's going to have to be okay. So I think a lot of it is kind of reframing our expectations. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all, because most of us are doing stuff with horses for fun and for, you know, a hobby or our enjoyment. That's what it is for me. Like now I have one paid client, but it's still a hobby for me. I'm not doing it as a career. And you are doing it as a career, but you're building your career off of this principle. So I think that's really cool. But yeah, I think just kind of reframing it, like we don't need to get anything in particular done. I mean, obviously medical stuff, but just kind of like training and like, you know, leisure activity wise, we can just do stuff slower and that's totally fine. I know there's a lot of judgment for that, which makes it tough, but yeah, I hope that more people can kind of reframe their perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, with horses, training is the journey. Like, that's the fun part of having them. Riding is great, and I understand why people prioritize it, but there are things that are more important. And for me, consent is obviously one of those things, but I want them to be able to consent because then it tells me if they're in pain or if they're uncomfortable for some reason, maybe they're having digestive issues. Like, it provides information to me that they wouldn't give me if they were shut down or felt like they couldn't say no to things. And that reminded me of a study that I wanted to talk about. I wasn't planning to talk about this one. Like I said, I only had one plan, but this one made me think of it. Okay, yes. This was a study done on dolphins. So keep that in mind. I mean, both mammals. So mammals have a lot of similarities, but it's not on horses, but it's called Dolphins Willingness to Participate in Positive Reinforcement Training as a Potential Welfare Indicator, where willingness to, pr- to participate predicts early changes in health status by Clegg et al. from 2019. So this study was looking at how basically the dolphins would um, have a lower willingness to participate score, so they'd be less willing to participate shortly before they started showing other symptoms of medical kind of issues or other problems going on. So I think that's super interesting in how it can maybe kind of compare to horses as well. Obviously, we'd need research on that since the study itself was on dolphins. But horses as prey animals do tend to mask their symptoms of pain or poor health for, you know, survival reasons. They don't want to be seen as weak. So I definitely think that 
it's, you know, there are, there can be these ways that we can predict how they're feeling before they're going to outwardly show signs of being in pain or having a physical problem. So I think that that's kind of a really interesting and promising way of looking at that. Um, And it kind of goes back to what you were saying, how it's giving you the information about if something's wrong with them, if they're not choosing to participate. And I think that's something that is just like objectively good to have that information as soon as possible so that we can help them. And even like, if you don't care about welfare, even from like an effectiveness perspective, if you want your learner to, um, you know, be effectively learning and doing the behaviors that you're teaching, you want them to be feeling good. So there's really all sorts of reasons that we'd want to know about their kind of physical health status. And I think willingness to participate is a really promising way of assessing that. Yeah, this is more related to my personal life and work life, but there's always like little behaviors I'll notice in the horses at work. And then I always feel like they think I'm crazy, but I'll text my coworkers and be like, do you think this horse has ulcers? <laughs> like, do you think something's going on here? Why are they doing this when they don't normally? And I feel like a lot of those communication attempts just get missed because we're too busy doing things with horses instead of paying attention to them. That is so true. Like so many people will like have an obviously like girthy horse that's clearly in pain, most likely from ulcers or, you know, could be poor saddle fit as well, could be different things. And they'll just be like, well, it's okay. This is just normal. So it's like they're kind of overlooking those signs of um, there being something wrong. And I also find it super interesting that whenever people bring up like, you know, this is a clear sign of pain or whatever, they're like, either they just say that's totally normal or they're, if they're more, I guess, educated on like animal behavior type of terms, they might be like, that's anthropomorphic. They're fine. Like you can't read into them being unhappy based on that or whatever. Like that's always their response when you talk about something being wrong. But yet those same people are always like, my horse loves jumping. He's so happy. He loves to do his job. And it's like, I don't understand why they are kind of like seeing this with the like positive behaviors. In that case, it's okay to anthropomorphize and it's okay to kind of look at the situation through that lens. But when you're looking at the signs of pain, suddenly it's like, oh no, they're just an animal. They can't do that or whatever. I think that's really interesting that people kind of frame it that way. Yeah, that's so true. And then also with the being able to, or feeling like they're being able to kind of put anthropomorphic happy emotions things like that onto certain behaviors I feel like a lot of the time it's wrong too like horses running and playing can sometimes be an indicator of stress too or if they're not doing that they might kind of make it like a personality trait like the mare is merry or marish she's bitchy she's in heat whatever (laughs) like they make up all these weird kind of I don't know like they're putting the issue on the horse instead of what might actually be wrong or maybe they're doing something and they're just kind of consistently blaming the horse and making it their problem that is so true and now I have to bring up another study even though again I only had the one but now I keep thinking of more um I'm thinking (laughs) thinking about the 2021 study by Bornman et al that's called investigating equestrians perceptions of horse happiness and exploratory study so this study was looking at how uh, different equestrians, including like just horse owners, actual professional trainers, all sorts of different horse people, how they classified horses' emotions um, 
93% of the participants said that they would classify their horse as happy, but obviously, like, that's probably a clear overestimation. Um, and one of the things that really stands out to me in relation to that is that 36% believed that a forward or energetic or rushing horse under saddle was excited. Um, but we have a lot of information out there showing us that an extremely forward or touchy under saddle horse is probably in pain and or very stressed or both. So I think that that's kind of, um, kind of important to think about how like we do misinterpret this a lot. And I mean, we're kind of off the topic of consent somewhat now, but also like if we don't understand what our horse is communicating, how can we understand when they're communicating consent or not? Um, and it's really hard because we do overestimate our own ability to accurately read that. So that's, you know, kind of hard to deal with. Um, but uh, I think another thing that's not from the study, but people who kind of like misinterpret funny faces too, like, you know, a lot of stereotypic behaviors, like the tongue out type of stereotypic behavior, or even just like mean mare face, like you were saying, like, you know, and she's got the ears back and they're like, she's just a bitchy mare or whatever, like you said, like, um, people are like, oh, it's so silly. It's so quirky. And it's like, no, you're just misinterpreting it. Um, so I think that's, that's really tough with, um, you know, because people really don't see it as what it is. They don't mean any harm by it. They just don't understand that this is actually a really serious thing that is harming the animal's welfare. Yeah, and a lot of the time they'll put it on traits that I don't even understand how it's quirky, like a girthy horse. Like I keep thinking of, I don't even know how long ago it was, but that one Instagram reel where the girl like went under the horse and then he bit her or something and she was doing up the saddle. I don't even remember what the actual video was, but there were so many people in the comments saying that the horse should probably be checked for ulcers or I don't know, they're having discomforts, pain face and I mean, I think it's good that people were standing up for it, but it's also good to recognize that the people don't mean harm, they're just misinformed. And I think that can be hard to remember, which this is also like, <laughs> it is really off topic, but again, the body language and communication is really important for being able to determine whether a horse is consenting or not. Yeah, that is so true. I definitely remember that video. I left a comment on it and it still gets likes every once in a while. I like actually every day, probably I get a notification that's like, that's crazy. Comment was liked. I know it probably has <laughs> hundreds of likes. I never look back at it, but I'm like, why? Like, I'm ready to not think about this video anymore. It's kind of like a very, <laughs> uh, I don't know, like, uh, it just kind of bothers me. So I'm like, I don't want to look at this video anymore. But there were a lot of people in that in those comments too who were saying like the same thing we were talking about before. Oh, this is a thousand pound animal. If he didn't want her going under his head, he would do something about it and he would like, you know, like bite her or whatever. It's like, well, he is trying to, like he is trying to do something about it. That's the whole thing is that you're overlooking that the animal is communicating it just because they're doing it in a more subtle way. That doesn't mean that and it honestly, that video was not subtle, but I'm just saying, you know, like he, the horse wasn't literally trampling and killing her. Like <laughs> he's clearly communicating that something is not right. So I feel like, yeah, people just will say like, you know, they, they don't have to, but it's like, you're overlooking those little signs that honestly aren't that little once you learn how to recognize them. But I know, like we just said, people also genuinely don't mean harm and don't know how to recognize them or honestly they may have known how to recognize them naturally like at least those more 
significant ones like the clear snapping and biting they probably naturally know how to recognize that but also the horse industry kind of beats that out of you they're like you know biting isn't like a sign that something's wrong it's a sign that the horse is being naughty so you should like punish them or whatever so that kind of gets taken out of people their empathy and their um I guess like kindness towards horses kind of gets decreased in favor of that culture of just making them do whatever and punishing them for behavior that's getting in the way even though behavior is communication and should not be punished yeah I definitely feel like it's a cultural thing but I am really glad there's people now advocating for it because I do see that a lot where people are making attempts to educate people on the quirky videos that the horse is actually trying to communicate something and I mean there's going to be pushback because the horse world is really stubborn that's why we're so far behind every other animal training realm but yeah I don't know it's it sucks that so many of those signs get missed like you said even obvious ones like snapping and striking out sometimes is misinterpreted but yeah I don't know it's just it sucks that it's not seen as an issue and it's just a quirky personality trait or something the horse does yeah and I think a lot of it too goes back to dominance theory so shout out to our last episode on dominance theory but um basically I think you know having the idea of like oh behavior is because they're dominant not because they're actually communicating some other like actual underlying need that will cause people to act like that and I mean to be honest with you, dominance theory makes no sense to me. Like it never made sense, but I just believed it because that's what everyone said. And when everyone says something, most of the time people believe it, especially when the people who are saying it are the people that are in a higher position of power, like trainers and barn owners and parents and older friends or whoever, like you just kind of believe that stuff. So um, yeah, I think if we can keep sharing the information about like all of these interrelated topics, really like everything we talk about, I feel like is related to the topic of consent and trying to give the horse more choice and more freedom over their own life. Um, And I think a really big part of welfare is giving the animal as much choice as possible. And we can't really do that if we're not knowledgeable about the communication. Yeah, for sure. Well, not to bring up the video again, but (laughs) This horse was also in cross ties, so that kind of ties it back to the actual topic we were trying to talk about, which is consent, because if the horse is tied, they don't even have the option to go away if they want to, so saying no is really hard, and that's why that horse resorted to mouthing, most likely. That's so true, and I mean, tying can definitely be necessary at times, or even just like a good skill to have, like practically in the world, but it also, like you said, takes away choice. So there are a lot of ways that we can ask the horse to stand where they can say no and can walk away, like using a stationary target or even just cueing like a stay or stand type of behavior or even not doing any of those things and just seeing, will they stay with us and engage with whatever we're doing, um, like grooming or tacking or whatever. Um, I think that's super important because people, you know, when you limit that choice, you're taking away their ability to communicate and Personally, my goal is to leave as many channels of communication open as possible. And sometimes you do have to limit that as we have already covered with like medical things and whatnot, but um, as much as possible, keeping those choice and communication channels open so that we kind of know what's going on. Um, And just because like, I don't know, I see my animals as being sentient beings that 
I want to have choice and autonomy in their lives. And, um, you know, the more I can allow that, because unfortunately it's on me to allow that in the kind of like human centric society that we have, but um, the most I can make that possible for them, the better, in my opinion, just ethically. And also for me, because I get a lot of personal enjoyment out of the animals in my life being happy and having choice and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And with the cross ties or tying a horse to sometimes it's not even the physical restraint that is what's causing them to feel like they can't say no. Sometimes it's just having a halter on because of association or a bridle or a full tech, a full set of tack, or even just having a rider. Like there's all these different things that can contribute to whether or not the horse feels safe saying no. Like I know with Wonder, he'll opt into training with or without his halter, but I feel like when he's wearing a halter, he's less likely to walk away when he feels frustrated. Like he'll stay with me longer before opting out. So it can be really hard to gauge how he's actually feeling. But with that halter off, he's a way different horse. So that's something that's really important too. Yeah, I agree. I think that's super important. And I think it's really powerful to work with animals as much as we can at Liberty. Like, um, it doesn't always have to be that way. Like, obviously, you can use tack and you can use equipment and things like that. Um, But at least some of the time, having the animal be completely free in an open space and no tack on them and just, you know, seeing in that situation, how are they going to interact and things like that. Um, So I think that is really important. And I think, you know, even doing training in their environment, in their like pasture, if that's possible, sometimes I find that really um, good as well because they feel really safe there and they feel really, um, I don't know, like that's their space where they can, that they can walk away. I haven't brought them out and taken them into like more training type of spaces. They're just kind of in their spot, um, especially with Charlie because he is so anxious outside of his pasture right now. Um, he seems a lot happier to engage with me in that space right now. So, um, you know, just being aware of things like that too, like certain areas or spaces may make them feel more anxious or may even make them feel more shut down as well. Like Charlie, he will, um, if we try to walk up towards the barn, uh, he will plant his feet and just not move. He doesn't, uh, you know, try to get away or try to fight or anything like that. He just will plant his feet. And that's his communication that he doesn't want to go in the barn um, because the barn is scary and bad things have happened in the barn, like the farrier and the vet and trying to be loaded out of the barn. Um, they pulled the trailer right up to the barn door and tried to load him basically right out of the barn into the trailer so all of those things bad experiences he doesn't want to go in the barn so I think yeah just being aware of like environmental context too yeah exactly this is not really related at all just a work experience I was thinking about but when I first started working at the doggy daycare I worked at we always had to do their training sessions on leashes They use slip leads, which I'm not a fan of, but I always just took the dog's leash that they brought from home, so it's fine. (laughs) But yeah, the dog had to be somehow tethered to you and unable to move. But gradually, I started using more treats when I was training the dogs there. Not that I wasn't before, but it was a lesser amount because they weren't necessarily doing positive reinforcement specifically. 
but I started doing more treats and eventually I took the leashes off and I was usually training there when everyone else was busy or on break so no one really noticed me anyways but eventually they did and they would be like well why is the dog staying with you like there's not even a leash on that dog but it comes back to the associations and how we're setting up the environment for a training session. That's so true. And that's such a good example. It reminds me of something that my trainer, Rachel, said to me recently um, uh, about working with clients and stuff like that. The positive reinforcement process can sometimes start out slow, especially if you're working with a horse with a lot of trauma and you have to unpack all of that, kind of like what I've been doing with Charlie. But um, some certain behaviors, such as like the animal wanting to stay with you, the animal like approaching you or following you at liberty, even just those type of things can be really powerful tools in showing more traditional people how like, you know, this is such a cool way that we can build positive associations with being with us and we can actually have the animal like basically consent to being with us. Um, so I feel like that's a great example to point out just because that is such a powerful way that we can reach people maybe because I think we all kind of have that kind of internal desire or wish of like oh I just want to like you know be tactless at liberty with my horse and I just want to be able to go in the field and have the horse want to be with me I mean it feels good to us when our animal wants to be around us so um you know I think that that's something that I've really tried to stress with Charlie um with his owner and just with people in general who are seeing the process in the barn because I have had some kind of ruder comments or a little bit of pushback of like, why are you not forcing him into the trailer already? Um, so just kind of trying to really emphasize like, look, this is so cool. He wants to be with me and he's choosing that. And I think that is kind of like the same thing that you saw with your coworkers being like, wow, the dog is actually staying with you. That's really cool. So um, I think, you know, we can use that to show people the positive things that come from positive reinforcement. And it's super easy to do because it's basically like, it's almost like the idea of sneaky training, I think, because it's like, even if you don't intentionally teach the horse to walk up to you, you're not like, you know, shaping, like, come to me, they just develop that positive association from it. And they want to approach you. So they will. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click Treat Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click Treat Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every other Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.